Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Small Council. So tonight we're going to be talking about the beta missions, and uh, they've been out for a while now, but um, we're going to kind of go over those uh, in kind of detail. We kind of waited to do this episode until we got a good chance to play all of the the missions or played a good chunk of them. Um, unfortunately, a lot of uh, this is one of those nights where uh, a lot of things kind of fell through. Uh, a lot of the hosts weren't able to make it tonight. So tonight is just going to be myself and uh, Chris here. Uh, so we're going to kind of just be bouncing some, you know, ideas and opinions off each other on, on these missions and how they play out. Uh, but as always, uh, you know, just start off with throwing it out there, guys, that uh, um, that. We talk about uh, anything and everything, a song, uh, song of ice and fire. Uh, if there's any any topics that you guys want to hear us talk about, go join our Discord. I mean, you can tell us in other ways, but Discord's definitely the best way to go uh, and give us some uh, topics that you'd like to hear about. Uh, we do the show every week at 8 p.m., so running through topics can be uh can go pretty quick when you're doing it once a week. Sometimes uh, we throw an extra one in there. Um, so go join our Discord if you want to kind of get some of your uh, topics thrown out there because, you know, the more the better. Uh, it's definitely does not hurt to have like a backlog of ideas that we want to get uh, made into a show. Um, you know, for those that can't listen to us live uh, every uh, every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. We do have uh, recordings of our shows on uh, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, um, TuneIn, Blog Talk Radio, of course, which is where we uh, do this show through. And then definitely check out a Song of Ice and Fire Guild.com. Uh, that's A S O I A F guild.com and you can find our content there as well as uh, a bunch of other content from a bunch of other content creators it's definitely a site i recommend highly i mean not only because our stuff is on there but there's lots of uh, content of all sorts whether it be battle reports articles just kind of hit most every uh, topic on there so go check it out there's also a guild exclusive content on there that we drop once a month uh, that we kind of do themed this month is uh, themed on Targaryens and then if you wanted to go back and view last month uh, it's based on Baratheons so uh, definitely check that out um, tonight we will be going over uh, I'll name them really quickly we will not the only one we are not really going over is we guard the way it's the attacker defender one um, that is one that uh, I don't believe any of us really got a chance to play um, that and it utilizes the attacker and defender uh, tactics special decks that uh, come with the starters uh, but tonight we will be going over on an open field light in Darkness, no foe may pass. Here we stand, and then uh, honed and ready. And then, lastly, I'm going to throw in there uh, a mission that uh, is a fan made uh, by myself. Uh, I've been playing it for a long time, and I uh, wanted to throw this one in there at the end. Uh, 
uh, see what you guys think. I'll be posting it up on our Facebook page uh, so you guys can kind of try it out and let me know what you think. Uh, it's not perfect by any means, but I like it uh, a lot. So, uh, yeah, we're going to start off with uh, On an Open Field. Uh, this one is Long Deployment. Setup is one objective token in the center of the table and one uh, six inches short range from each flank, so just like Dance of Dragons. Uh, special rules are a unit ending a move with any part of its tray on an objective token claims it. Um, and so this is, you're going to be um, picking them up. Uh, a unit may only control one objective token at a time. If a unit controlling an objective token ends move over another token, their opponent places that objective token anywhere within two inches of the tray, so long as the token is not over impassable terrain or another unit's tray. If a unit holding an objective token fails a panic test or is destroyed, your opponent may have one of their units that was engaged with the unit claim the token or they may place the token anywhere within two inches of the unit's tray, so long as the token is not overpassable terrain and, or another unit. So uh, the kind of throw that in there. So the reason they do that is so that you can't tokens uh, from unit to unit, so they have to actually drop on the ground uh, within the two inches rather than use that two inches to place it on a unit. Uh, solo units may not claim objectives. so. Unlike uh, Dance of Dragons, the uh, solos are not going to be able to grab these, so that's really going to hurt giants in this mission. It's going to hurt the tactic of trying to get uh, the wolves in there to claim the objectives and kind of run away as you attack with your other units. Uh, cavalry uh, units may not perform their free maneuver uh, from their innate ability when they claim an objective, and while it has uh, while it has a token, any time a unit would perform an action, it may replace that action with place this unit's objective token on another friendly unit within short range. So uh, you can forego your action to hand off the token, which I think is a nice touch that Dance of Dragons could uh, would be nice if they had that in there. Um, though, keep in mind in this mission, there is no... Um, minus, uh, or I shouldn't say minus, but setting the maneuver uh, or the move stat to two, like in uh, Dance of Dragons. Uh, in this one, you move uh, normal with the exception to Calvary not getting their free maneuver. Though uh, scoring is units with this uh, with objective tokens grant two extra victory points when destroyed. So having them is a bad thing for you in that sense. But at the end of each round, each player scores two victory points for each friendly unit controlling an objective while in an enemy deployment. So you're going to want to grab these and just kind of run past your opponent if you can. Uh, so it's going to want you to be trying to grab the objectives while um, keeping your opponent from getting behind you. So it's nice that the cavalry can't uh, get their free maneuver because, you know, they're going to be able to grab the objective pretty quick, but then it'll prevent them from, you know, running away with them into the deployment faster than you can kind of catch them. But so first thoughts on this mission was uh, it's it seemed pretty uh, straightforward. Only real complaint I had with it was uh, that it, 
once things started uh, getting killed and died down, you know, what was left with the tokens kind of retreated to their enemies' deployment zones, and then the rest of the game kind of seemed, uh, I guess, not much was going to go on. Um, you know, because obviously the deployments, even though they're long, that still puts two feet between you and your opponent if you're both in your enemy deployment zones. Uh, so it kind of, I don't know, and having the tokens almost uh, is a risk. I do, in a sense, like that part about it, that uh, grabbing the token right away is a risk. It almost promotes wanting to let your opponent grab it. That way, maybe you can swing at them, kill off some stuff, make them fail panic, and grab the token from them. Uh, and then once you can kind of finish them off after that, run into your into the enemy's deployment to get some points. But holding on to these uh, objectives are going to, you know, they're going to add that extra risk of when you die, you give up those victory points. And, you know, when uh, you're you're really not going to be gaining a lot of points from being in your enemy in the enemy's deployment zone at the end of every turn. Uh, you know, at least probably not right away. Uh, not unless they were able to pull something sneaky and get by you somehow, but otherwise, you know, I mean, things are going to be fighting in the middle quite a bit. And so for a good chunk of the game, the only points going to be given up are going to be when your units die. Uh, so I don't know. I, this mission I'm kind of indifferent about, I do like a lot of aspects about it. I do feel there there should be some other way to score while having the points rather than being in your enemy's deployment because like I said it just it promotes going away from each other since you want to go to your opponents and your opponent wants to go to your deployment. So, what do you think, Chris? I know you're a huge fan of uh of objective missions. Oh, sorry, I had to unmute myself. Uh, so for this one, it's a little more forgiving for me because it does promote a little bit more of killing your opponent, whether it's with them already having it or preventing them from going to get it in the first place. Like you said, I don't really like the whole going hiding in your enemy's deployment zone if you're both doing that, which, you know, it has pluses and minuses, but I prefer not to go hiding in deployment zones. But one thing I do like about this one is as opposed to, I think it's, like you said, Dance of Dragons, that even if cavalry is going to get a token, you're not like getting like that penalty where you only move two inches or whatnot. Because in those scenarios, it really hampers, like especially Targaryens right now, where they only really have the cavalry because, you know, Unsullied's not really out yet. So this is a little more forgiving for them. They can go get it, and if they have to go run off to the deployment zone, they can. But overall, this one's not too terrible. But it was enjoyable when I played it. Yeah, I I agree. It's it's definitely a good start. Um, keep in mind, uh, everyone listening out there, that these are beta missions. Uh, by no by no means are these final cuts. These you know things that are going to be rolled out 
in the next week or so and you know said that these are the final um you know versions granted they could be it's entirely possible uh but um I'm sure something, some little things are going to change on each of these. So uh, we'll just kind of have to wait and see what happens with this one. Um, overall, I, I like the mission. I just think it needs that small little change, and I think it'll be, you know, it'll be great. And I think uh, Dance of Dragons, Dance with the Dragons, I can never remember. But I believe that mission could definitely benefit from some of these rules, uh, especially the solos not being able to capture. And I mean, I'm mostly a Stark player and, you know, I'm, I'm fully on board with wolves just kind of turning into like harassment units um, rather than these cheap activations that grab objectives and run away if they can, uh, especially when you got a two up morale uh, and you can only drop it if you die or, morale so um, we'll see where this one takes us uh, when they uh, release the final version so uh, next up let's see light and darkness uh, this one I like a lot um, this one uses the secret mission deck it uh, winds of winter um, I know we've kind of talked about in the past winds of winter I'm not a huge fan of I feel like there's too much randomness in that one for the mission uh, the secret mission deck terrible mission by no means but uh, I can only play that casually, and even casually, I, there's so many other good missions that I'd rather play something else. But Dark Wind, Dark Wings, Dark Words, that mission is awesome. I love that mission a lot. And Light and Darkness, I think, is like a like a perfect uh, version. It's it's just like Dark Wings, Dark Words, but with a twist uh, in a sense. So, well, uh, its deployment is short range. Using the secret mission deck, you place one objective token in the center, and then you uh, place two more for each player, so a total of five once you're done. Um, they have to be uh, at least six inches from a deployment, so essentially 12 from a board edge uh, in this case. Uh, you alternate until all five are placed. Objectives do not... Innately grant any bonuses or victory points for being controlled, and only do so if instructed by the secret mission card. So just like the, all the the other two, um, a unit ending a move with its trait entirely overlapping a token claims it. A unit controls it uh, as long as uh, they're not engaged by an enemy with more ranks remaining ranks. Uh, the movement, the moment this happens, they immediately stop controlling it. So essentially, you have to be fully covering up an objective, and then you only control it if there's no enemy that has more ranks than you. As soon as they do, you stop controlling it. That doesn't mean they then control it, because remember, you still have to qualify for the fully covering the objective. So it just it gives that uh, ability to have a way to contest if someone's completely on one. Um, I know this has already kind of been a thing, but just wanted to clarify that for maybe some of the newer people listening. Uh, and I want to add that I think that was a, an awesome way to change it because it used to be, you know, you just had to be touching it. And I didn't really like that. And it, it brought up a lot of confusing uh, situations where you could have like four units all touching the same token. And it's like, well, do I have to remember what order it was grabbed in? And there's a lot of weird things that came up with that. So I'm glad that they uh, changed that. So, but um, let's see. So 
solo units count as having remaining ranks equal to the remaining wounds for controlling and contesting. So that's pretty big, um, especially giants now with uh, six wounds rather than five when they got updated. That's a huge, you know, giants are amazing at controlling and contesting objectives. Uh, I'm surprised I don't see them more. I know that they can be sort of susceptible to uh, auto wounds, but if you run enough healing, I feel like, uh, you know, they might be able to get by. Uh, granted, uh, there are other big weaknesses like Walder Frey, things that are going to shut off all, all of their offensive potential. But uh, I think, um, you know, once you get a giant on an objective or you charge something and you're counting as six ranks, it's pretty big. Uh, tokens that are not entirely overlapping by units tray are not claimed and are not controlled by a unit. All right, so now on to the special rules. At the start of the game, before deployment, shuffle the secret mission deck and reveal 10 cards from it. Each player then rolls a die, and you re-roll ties. Whoever rolls highest will select one of the 10 revealed cards and discard it. Then their opponent will do the same. So essentially, you'll have 10 cards, uh, random, uh, face up, and then you'll roll off. Whoever wins gets to pick whatever card they want to not be in there. So this is usually going to be something you're going to want to take out that your opponent wants, uh, more so than what you don't want. Um, you're going to, so let's say there's the, you're facing a Lannister player or even, I guess, Bolton's. And one in, one is like for every time you fail panic, uh, you get a victory point. Well, you probably don't want that one in there. Or let's say uh, you get, I think it's three points for killing your opponent's commander. Well, if your opponent has High Sparrow and you have a field commander, well, you don't want your opponent to have that card because not only can you not, uh, get points for that card because your opponent has no commander on the field. Uh, they could then get three victory points if they claim if they pick that one. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself because you'll end up picking cards. But you're, right now you're picking what you want to uh, to get rid of, and uh, so you'll each get to pick one that's super big. Uh, you know that could be really powerful for your opponent to have and get rid of, or maybe you know just whatever you just don't want to see in there. Um, so let's see after let's see, lost my place. Sorry. Uh, their opponent will do the same after this is done, beginning with the player who did not choose the first, uh, discarded mission card will then, uh, then take turns drafting the remaining cards. Each player will end with four cards total. So essentially if let's say me and Chris play and I win the role, and I choose one card to get rid of, Chris will then choose one card to get rid of, and then Chris will then get to pick of the remaining eight, one card to keep. Then I'll pick one card to keep, then Chris will pick, and then I'll pick until uh, we each have four uh, for each. Um, once this is done, take the 10 remaining cards, shuffle them, and place them face down within reach for, uh, of both players. Beginning of round two, at the start of each round, each player will select one of their secret cards and place it face down on the table. This is the secret mission that player may attempt to complete this round. Each secret mission will list when it should be revealed and or when the score 
points for it. At the end of the round, unless otherwise instructed to remain in play, the selected secret mission card will be discarded whether it was completed or not. So uh, you're going to have four cards, and a lot of times, uh, granted, this is not going to. You're not going to do one round one, so you're looking at round two, round three, round four, and round five because you only have four cards in your hand. So essentially, round one and six don't have uh, any cards in your hand that are going to. You're not going to be able to play any. One, because you can't play one, and one, because turn six, you won't have any left. So round two, depending on what's going on, how aggressive you are, your opponent is, I mean, if you have two armies that are not aggressive at all, sometimes round two can be very uneventful, and that could be your turn to kind of get rid of the worst card that's not going to do much for you. Because remember, even though you drafted your cards, uh, it was still ten random ones, and if it was your last pick, uh, then it's probably what was just kind of left there, and it might not be you. You might not even be able to obtain it or attain it very easily. Um, let's say you're an all cavalry army, and you have the one where uh, get an infantry unit in your enemy's deployment zone to get four points. Uh, well, if you have no infantry units, that does nothing for you. So take the turn. You know, try to plan out what you're going to do, when you're going to do it. And, uh, you know, uh, ditch, you know, the ones that you on turns where probably not much is going to happen. Try to optimize what you're going to be able to do. Because um, whether or not you're able to complete it, it's going to go away at the end of the turn. Uh, then beginning of round two, at the start of each round, draw one secret mission card and reveal it. This is known as the open mission. So this part is just like... Uh, uh, winds of winter, how you're going to have the one open mission. Uh, until the end of the round, any player may score this mission uh, and may score it multiple times if uh, if they're able to. Discard the secret mission at the end of the round. So it's basically, in the way that the cards are happening, it's a lot closer to Winds of Winter in that sense because Winds of Winter, you have a bunch of cards in your hand, uh, and you have this, the open one uh, every round. But that one is a lot more random because you're all just pulling from a deck and you just kind of randomly get what's on the top and your opponent randomly gets what's on the top. Whereas this way, you're not only going to be able to choose one to not be chosen for each of you, you then draft to kind of pick what your hand's going to be. So that's where I think this this mission is just so much better than Winds of Winter in that regard. Um, I know I'm hating on Winds of Winter a lot. I, I think a lot of it stems from I've just had a lot of bad experiences with that mission where either me or my opponent just draws so badly and they just they don't even really have a chance to win because either I or they will draw all the cards that they need to score and the other person will draw all the ones that they can't really get to score. Whereas light and darkness and dark wings, dark words, uh, give a lot of uh, flexibility in the sense of the secret mission cards, uh, being a lot more open. Um, so 
that is the special rules for that special scoring. Players must achieve two additional victory points to win this game mode in addition to the numbered based on the size. So this is like dark wings, dark words in the sense that uh, let's say your average 40 point game, you need 10 points, but in this one, and uh, the other one you need, you're going to need 12. Uh, this is probably just to do with the fact that, um, you know, you can, there there's times we're going to be probably scoring less than a normal game. Uh, that's not going to use the secret mission deck. There's going to be times where you're going to be scoring a lot more. Uh, and this will help with that so that the game doesn't end way too early. And it will also help those that uh, get, uh, get behind early to have the potential to catch up. Uh, victory through combat rule is ignored for this game. So killing units uh, is not really going to... Killing units aren't going to give up victory points uh, for that rule. So if you have Joffrey or Rick on, they're still going to give their additional victory point, but um, you're not going to get that base point for killing, let's say, a wolf or just a unit in general. Uh, that also means that... Uh, insignificant units will be less useful in this mission for the sense that, you know, they're paying for that ability essentially in their cost, whereas now it's not really in effect, or it's in effect, but everyone else is now getting that ability for free, essentially. Um, beginning of round two, players may complete the secret mission to earn victory points. Each secret mission lists the rules for completing it, once a secret mission has been revealed and or completed, it will automatically uh, be discarded unless otherwise stated in its effect. So, I know uh, this mission does have a lot of text, but um, once you've played it, it's very simple. I've played uh, this one three times, and I absolutely love it. Um, I would say because of the drafting aspect of the cards, I actually like it better than Dark Wings, Dark Words, uh, though I do like that mission a lot too. Uh, I think Simon uh, did an awesome job with this mission. Um, I know that they're probably trying to utilize the secret mission deck and just the decks that they provide with the, you know, just all the tools they provide with the starter. You know, they're trying to utilize them more so that they become more relevant, and I think this mission does that uh does a really good job of that. What do you think, Chris? You're uh, you're breaking up, Chris. Uh, pretty bad. Yeah, you're still breaking up. You're really hard to hear. You're quiet and breaking up. That's not good. All right, come back. To uh, it's a little better. All right. Uh, so um, he dropped out real quick. He's going to reconnect. Um, but uh, so if I know some people out there are not like huge into the missions with the secret mission deck uh, for for competitive play, for the fact that it's a lot a lot more randomness uh, added to it than normal. Um, I would say uh, definitely give this one and Dark Dark Wings, Dark Words a chance uh, in competitive play. I was, you know, I'm super against Winds of Winter in competitive play, but as I've already kind of said, you know, it's 
just because I feel like there's a lot more randomness, like way too much randomness in in that mission for competitive play. I mean, maybe if it's like you're just your local, uh, it's not a big deal. I guess I'm more so talking like Gen Con, um, an expo or a depth con or something like something big. Uh, but I, I'm confident that uh, light and darkness and dark wings, dark words are fair enough that uh, putting them in a bigger tournament is, you know, I, I think it's a, uh, I'm, I'm in the boat that I, I don't want to know the missions beforehand. Um, I wouldn't mind knowing which ones are definitely not going to be in there. Like if you know for a fact what's not going to be an option, you could say say that and be like, okay, here's the pool of missions that we're going to pull from, and it could be any one of these ones. Um, I would like that much better. And adding uh, light and darkness and dark wings, dark words, just adds to that pool and uh, allows – uh, for a more, in my opinion, a more healthy uh, environment because you won't be able to tailor uh, for a specific type of mission if you don't know you're going to play it. For example, Clash of Kings has such a huge advantage, in my opinion, for Calvary that uh, you know making one of your two lists be all Calvary is huge, especially if you know one of those missions is going to be Clash that you're going to play. But if you have, like, let's say, eight missions that could be options that, uh, and only, and you're going to play four rounds, that's only a 50-50 you even play Clash. Uh, so uh, just adding these missions in there will just help uh, in that regard. Chris, uh, are you with us? Do I sound better now? Oh, yeah, definitely. So what's your yeah. take on uh, light and darkness? So, as I was trying to say before, anybody who listens knows that I'm not the biggest tournament player. I mean, I play in them, but I'm not a serious tournament guy. So, me personally, I love the missions that have this secret mission desk deck because I like the randomness factor. I think that leads more credibility to the list building aspect as opposed to I like building lists that are more of challenging all comers type thing even like our local tournaments I bring the two mandatory lists I only ever use one of them regardless of what the mission is but and I know during our local things we don't do the was it winds of winter What'd you say? Are you still there? I think your mic uh, went out. But yeah, I definitely like uh, you know when when Winds of Winter was first uh, or when the game first dropped, I played Winds of Winter and it was the only mission with that deck. I just I wanted to like the deck, but it reminded me too much of playing Warhammer uh, 40k and playing with uh, some of the when they added the decks for scoring. Uh, was it Maelstrom? And I wanted to like Maelstrom over uh, over the basic mission so much, but it just added too much randomness that, you know, outside of casual play, I just couldn't see myself playing it. Um, so I wanted to like the secret mission deck, and, you know, I feel like Simon's doing an amazing job with these last two uh, missions for, you know, for it. 
So, um, but uh, Chris, you there? Yeah, I think something's wrong with your mic. Um, we're going to uh, move on to the next uh, next mission. Uh, so no foe may pass. So I'm going to lead off with saying this one is my least favorite of all of them that I've played. Uh, but I'll go through the go through it real quick, and then I'll I'll go into why. Um, deployment is uh, long range. Setup is one objective token in the center, and place two additional tokens along each deployment zone uh, shown above. So if you're looking at the picture, uh, if I didn't already mention, you can go to I put the link in the in the title uh, for song of ice and fire simon.com documents so that you guys can kind of look over these if you haven't seen them already but essentially they're six inches from the edge and at uh like half of the tokens in your deployment half of it out so and on it's going to be on both sides uh so a total of five objectives um Special rules, a unit ending a move with its tray entirely overlapping a token claims that token. A unit controls a token it has claimed as long as it is not engaged by an enemy with more remaining ranks than it. The moment, the moment this happens, it immediately stops controlling that token. Solos uh, count as having remaining ranks equal to their remaining wounds for controlling and contesting objectives. Tokens that are not entirely overlapped by a unit Tray uh, are not claimed or controlled. Uh, special scoring. Beginning of round two, each player scores one victory point if they control both objectives along friendly deployment zones. Beginning of round two, each player scores one victory point for controlling the center objective at the end of the round. And beginning of round two, start uh, each player control, sorry, uh, at the the beginning of round two, each player scores three victory points for each objective along the enemy deployment zone they are uh, they are controlling at the end of the round. Enemy objectives grant plus one uh, victory point if controlled by your uh, by a commander. So uh, mission I do like given the commander boost because NCU commanders just seem to be innately uh, much better uh, value. So the more missions they add where they give the extra victory point is huge. And, you know, with the exception of a couple missions, uh, only needing 10 points to win is huge. So uh, every point counts and every point will matter in the end. Uh, I can't tell you how many close games I've had. So the commander buff definitely is uh, something I like a lot. Um, so this one gives you an incentive to want to go to your opponent because uh, you'll get three points instead of one. Um, so, But you're only going to control one point if you control both of yours. So if you have one unit on each of yours, you're, you're only controlling one point every round uh, and one for the center. So a max of two points if you don't go to your opponent. Um, then again... Uh, needing to camp two units on these uh, is pretty big. So if you're an elite, or even necessarily not elite, but even like a more mid um, mid numbers, so uh, let's say five units, four units, you know, playing this mission is really hard because 
in order to get that one point every turn, you need to have two units sitting on your objectives and sitting there, you know, all game. And because deployment is only a foot, let's say you're fully covering it, you're essentially 12 and a half inches, your opponent's 12 and a half inches, you're looking at 23 inches between you and your opponent. Uh, if you're both controlling your objectives at, at, um, to keep away from each other, uh, and let's say you both have five units, that leaves three units each. Uh, you're going to want to go for that middle objective because there's only one of those. So whoever gets it's going to have that advantage there. But the problem I have with this mission is that the objectives are too far away. The corner objectives, we'll call them, are too far away from each other. Uh, if you're having two camp on yours and your opponent's having two camp on theirs, uh, you're never, you're almost never going to then leave your objective to go after their objective because unless you're cavalry, it's going to take you a while to get over there, especially if you're not a very fast army, meaning that that whole time that you're trying to get over to them to stop them from getting theirs, you're not only getting, not getting your point, they're gaining a point every time or for every turn it takes you to get to them. And then getting to them doesn't necessarily mean that they don't control it anymore. If you can't dent them and contest on them, then they're going to continue to get more points. So the smart play in a lot of cases, it's not every case, there's definitely the outliers, you know, if you have cavalry or maybe you're running the, you know, this would be, a perfect mission for like Stark Wolves or Free Folk where you can just sit a wolf on each of these and then run everything else forward. But let's just say other than like some of the outlier lists, um, and I say that like because there's so many different, you know, factions and army lists out there uh, that won't be able to do that, that if you sit two and you have three going up, you're probably going to have at least two fighting in the center to try to make sure you get it and they have two on theirs. And let's say a lot of things die in the center fighting over that middle one. I found uh, both of my games were just sitting on our objectives. Like we're so far away from each other that we don't want to leave them to go after the other. Cause we know that it's almost certainly going to mean that we're going to lose. So this mission, I like, uh, the concept of it, I think one small change would fix it, uh, and that's just make the objectives closer. Uh, I don't know, uh, three inches each, because right now they're at 12 and a half, uh, let's say three and a half. So, um, so essentially they would be, I don't know, like we'll say 15 inches up. Um, by doing that 15 15 that's 30 that leaves an 18 inch gap between the objectives uh on the corners um that is a big enough gap that you're not going to be able to shoot each other uh but it's not so big that you're not uh that it's not a big deal to leave yours to try to go stop them from getting theirs and potentially getting three points maybe if you do that though because it'll be so much closer to you, uh, though, you know, it won't be like basically in your opponent's deployment. You might have to reduce it to like two victory points for each that you control in your enemy's side. Uh, cause three might be a little too, a little, I wouldn't say too easy, but definitely more easy to do. Um, 
So it's, uh, I don't know, I think just that small change, just make them a bit closer so that way um, at the end of a lot of games, you don't have all these units just kind of sitting around because it kind of makes for, uh, in both my games, it made for a very boring experience. We just ended up leaving our objective, even though we normally wouldn't, but we didn't, we just were like, well, you know, we want to just kill something, I guess. We didn't want to just sit there and just end the end the game by counting up a tally. Um, granted, there's always going to probably be that person who's behind. They're like, they're going to have no choice but to ditch them. But then they realize, you know, even if they ditch them, they're probably still going to lose. So, I don't know. It's one of those things that uh, small change, I think, would completely make this mission uh, so much different and a lot better. Um, and I, other than that small thing, I, I like the concept. I like everything else that, that goes with it. Um, next up, we will talk about honed and ready. This one, um, short range deployment setup is one objective token in the center. And, uh, you're going to shuffle the objective deck and excuse me, uh, draw one card and place it, uh, assign it to the center objective. Uh, there's going to be four of the other objectives, but they will not have a card. Uh, they will just be basic objectives with no ability. Uh, you'll place two castle walls, as shown in the picture, if you're following along with the with the picture they have. Uh, I'll stop there to say I am glad that they did add a mission that wasn't like attack or defender that used the walls for something. Um, I do like this mission. Uh, and I think what they did with the walls was a nice touch. Um, you'll place the remaining four objectives as shown. Uh, basically, you're placing the two walls up the center along the sides. Uh, and then you're placing so that the four objectives align with the the edges, the, all four edges of the two walls. Um, so the two edges of each wall. Uh, special rules for the objectives, a unit uh, ending a move entirely overlapping. So this is, you're going to want to entirely overlap and you're going to contest uh, based on ranks. Um, and only con you can only control it if you're completely on it. Um, solos uh, equal, uh, are going to be able to capture and contest equal to their rank. Um, tokens uh, that aren't fully overlapped aren't uh, claimed or controlled. Uh, castle walls are impassable and cannot be targeted or affected by abilities or effects. Each time victory points are scored from the object closest to the walls, those walls rain down arrows upon the unit controlling the objectives. Those units each suffer D3 plus 2 automatic hits. They're not attacks, so they won't uh, and it specifically says that. Uh, so they won't trigger a panic test and they will be doing um, hits, not wounds. So you will get an armor save. So this will benefit uh, higher armor units that go on here because on average you're going to be taking four hits. If you have, if it's like a guardsman unit, you're looking at, uh, you know, passing, you know, only failing probably one of them, maybe two. Uh, but, you know, let's say you're a six up, you know, you probably don't want to put, you know, bastards girls on here because, you know, let's say worst case, you take five automatic hits, uh, and you're probably only saving one. Worst case, you fail all five, uh, which is entirely possible on a six-up save. So um, it's definitely going to 
give a benefit to uh, higher armor units. Uh, granted, higher armor units a lot of times are slower. So uh, it looks like they are roughly 15 inches up the board. So if you start at six, you're looking at about nine inches away, I believe, and you have to fully overlap. So uh, an eight inch or a four inch uh, movement unit marching will not be able to completely overlap these units um, in on turn one. Granted, I believe you don't score until round two anyways, but um, you just, you'll have to spend your round two getting fully on the objective. Um, special rules, NCUs in the tactics board. When a friendly NCU claims any zone that zones effect with one unit controlling an objective other than the center objective suffers D3 plus two automatic hits. So basically you're gonna be able to rain down arrows uh, additionally. Uh, this will give, um, uh, having three NCUs big power, especially because if you only have, uh, if you have three and your opponent only has two, uh, that third spot that usually is going to be wasted on, you know, not much. Let's say you don't need a free maneuver and that's all that's left or a crown zap when your opponent is like an all face and they're not going to fail the morale. Replacing that with, you know, D3 plus two automatic hits can be pretty big, especially if you decide you want to, uh, if you're going first and you don't want to get like a free attack or something, you could just do this three times, you know, what, 3d3 plus 6 uh, automatic hits if you just keep raining it down on the same unit. I mean, you could really take out, uh, you know, even higher uh, armored stuff, you could knock them down a few pegs. So uh, I definitely like this uh, little addition. Uh, it kind of gives more um, strength to NCUs that don't necessarily have uh, as strong of abilities or maybe it just gives more flexibility to the board, which is always a nice thing. Because, um, I mean, the tactics board is a huge thing with this game, and it definitely adds another layer. Uh, so, um, and then uh, special scoring, beginning around two, players will score one victory point for each objective token they control. So there's five of them, so you have potential of, you know, anywhere from zero to five points uh, around. Um, there is victory through combat, so everything you kill will give you a point. So not only could you, if you rain down a bunch of arrows on a unit in one turn, you could get a point for killing them and prevent them from uh, giving them a point because they'll no longer be on it. So I definitely like this. Uh, I've only played this one twice. I definitely like this mission a lot. Um, I like that it gives me a reason to use the uh, the castle walls uh, because uh, I the only other mission that I've uh, played with them, I definitely didn't like it. It was very unbalanced. Um, I always forget the name of that one. The one with the sword, it was uh, with Storm the, of Swords. Starter. Yeah, that one, Storm of Swords. So I definitely like that they added that. So um, what do you think, Chris? about this one. Let's see if I can make it through this without getting booted again. <laughs> uh, yeah. I agree with you in the fact that it's nice that the developers are seeming to try to find ways to incorporate other things that have come in the starter sets like the castle walls. So I think I know at least amongst our group, the Storm of Swords scenario is pretty universally disliked 
and we don't really ever play it. I think I played it once, like the first week when we got our Kickstarter stuff. We tested it out, and the experience was just so bad. We're like, we're not playing this anymore. So this one was a, a nice change of pace to actually be able to use those castle walls again. And I agree with you also in the fact that it's nice that the NCUs get a little more flexibility here where you can kind of do some different stuff with them. Obviously, some NCUs will be a little more powerful, a.k.a. Melisandra, because now she can do her little nuke bomb panic test and then take a spot on the board and host them <laughs> with yeah. five more hits or whatever. So if she already wasn't doing enough damage, she can now do twice as much damage and also pretty much getting the same amount of hits too. She's getting usually five off of her panic and then another five hits here on a good roll. So it just makes her a little more dangerous, but you know, add some extra stuff for some of these other ones that might not get there due diligence with a spot that they really want to have. So overall, I liked playing this one. It was a good change of pace. And again, getting to use some of the cards and stuff that we got in the starters that we don't typically use is always a plus as well. Yeah. And again, I feel like this, uh, this is definitely a mission to, uh, I could see in competitive play. I know a lot probably wouldn't like it, um, using the castle walls and stuff, but I don't know. I, I had a very, uh, both of my games, I had a very, uh, enjoyable experience and they were very close and never did I feel like the mission, uh, was, uh, like too random or like too out there to be fair and, you know, kind of screw up the competitive vibe. So, uh, I could definitely see this one in there as well. Um, going on to, let's see, I think it's our last one before I talk about the one I made. Um, it's here we stand. So I saved this one for the last of the ones, uh, uh, the beta missions, because this one is my favorite. I've played this one three times, uh, played it once to kind of just to try it out. But the other two I played cause I, I really wanted to play it again. Um, I've lost this mission twice of three simply because it's so much different uh, in the uh, in the realm of like process of thinking of how you're scoring and how you're positioning things. I've simply I've decimated uh, my opponent in both of my losses and lost because I wasn't paying attention. And it's you know it's one of those things that it'll come with time as you play it. Uh, I, uh, to kind of talk about it again is I feel like this is another mission that could be used in competitive play and all of them are definitely casual too. Um, none of them like super hyper, uh, competitive by no means, but, uh, by what I mean by that, I could see them in competitive play is that they're fair and they're enjoyable to play and they're, they're not. Uh, they don't have like glaring problems with them that uh, will, you know, will give advantages to certain things beyond uh, what they should. So for this one, it's no objectives. It's 18 inch deployment on each side, special rules uh, in 
uh, is sectors. Divided the, divide the battlefield into four equal sectors as shown above. Units are considered to be in the sector that the majority of the tray is in. In the rare case where they are exactly the same, the owner's opponent chooses. So it's in the games that I've played, it is, it's only happened once for one unit where it was we couldn't tell which one, so it was 50-50. So my opponent uh, got to choose which one my unit was in. So uh, it is super rare that it's going to happen. You know, you have to think three games between like 10, 11 units on the field and it only happening one time. It's still it's pretty uh, rare that it would happen. So uh, the moral of the story for me was you know, you have to keep an eye on your positioning because being exactly 50-50 in a sector uh, is something you can definitely avoid. Uh, if you are 50-50, it was uh, poor positioning on your part, and, and uh, in this case, my part, because a slight pivot will nudge you just barely out and I don't mean nudge by like move you physically in like a certain direction but I just mean you can get more of your tray into another sector just barely whether it be like another corner or whatnot um, unless maybe you're in that perfect spot where no matter which way you pivot especially if you're like up in the corner um, and by the corner, I mean the center of the board because that's where the all the sectors meet, uh, maybe in that case. But, uh, yeah, it's just poor positioning. So keep that in mind that it, it will be rare, and you will want to keep an eye on your positioning so that you're – because if you don't, your opponent's going to choose, and it's going to turn around and bite you in the butt. So a player controls a sector if they have at least five army points worth of units and more total army points than their opponent in that sector. So this will help uh, elite armies. Uh, I mean, it doesn't necessarily uh, give them an advantage, but it definitely helps in the sense that, let's say, uh, free folk with their you know horde. Granted, you're going to have two three-point raiders, which will equal up to six points, but uh, you'll have to make sure both of them are in the same sector and so forth to uh, count as controlling it. Um, but it'll also mean that you can't have just one raider in one sector because they're only worth three. So it's definitely going to give a, a slight benefit to having units that are at least five points because they will be able to go control a sector by themselves if as long as... Um, your opponent doesn't have equal or more points than you. So it doesn't, I don't think it mentions if you have equal, but uh, I'm assuming equal is just, uh, it's the way of contesting. So, because the only way you score is if you have more. So if you don't have more, then uh, either your opponent is scoring it, but if then if you have equal, then neither of you do. So that would be the way, is, the way to contest in this mission is simply have as many points. Uh, special rules for the NCUs. When the NCU activates as its activation, or as its action, I, I'm sorry, it may, instead of claiming a zone on the tactics board, be placed on a sector of the map. The NCU's army points will be added to the sector for scoring. So, um, I'll read the rest of it for jumping into what I was going to say. Is So, special scoring is beginning of round two. At the end of each round, if a player controls 
either sector closest to their friendly deployment zone, uh, they will score one victory point for each sector they control. Beginning of round two, at the end of each round, if a player controls either sector closest to the enemy's deployment zone, they will score three victory points for each sector they control. So essentially, the ones closest to you, uh, the sectors closest to you, worth one victory point, the sectors far away from you, three victory points, and it will be reversed for your opponent. Um, so what I was going to say about the NCUs is this, uh, being able to replace the spot on the board, or not necessarily that, but be able to place uh, on the board to add your points really helps, uh, or really uh, gives a buff to five-point NCUs. Um, being able to see an empty sector for whatever reason and just plop Melisandre or uh, Walder or Jack and Hagar on that sector and control it is pretty crazy. Um, you know, especially if it's an enemy. If let's say your enemy is super aggressive and they just come at you like crazy and charge into your your area before you can even get to theirs, and they leave it abandoned, you could just your five-point NCU in there and be like, all right, three points, three points. Um, granted, I will say I'm not sure I really like that. If I had a very small nitpick about this mission, it would be that I think NCU should only be able to add their points to a sector if a combat unit is already in there. I mean, that's just kind of my opinion. I It could be entirely possible that... Uh, that CMON intended it to be this way because they felt that the NCU should be allowed to, and that's perfectly fine. Like, like I said, it's a small nitpick. I'm not like uh, I could uh, see it going either way. Um, I just the thought of Mel being in a two by two section of the board by herself, granting one or three victory points, just struck me as odd. So it's a small nitpick. But overall, I do like that. Uh, I can't tell you how many times uh, throughout my three games where simply putting that three-point NCU in a spot, uh, especially if your opponent's super aggressive and trapping you kind of in your sectors as they leave a little bit back to control theirs, you know, adding that three-point NCU to your own sector to help bolster your points so that your opponent isn't grabbing it from you is huge um, and a lot more beneficial than, let's say, you know, um, a free maneuver or something. I mean, granted, you know, it's a free maneuver could also mean the difference between getting yourself in a different sector, but it just gives you that flexibility kind of that we we're talking about with the last mission that it gives the NCUs a lot more important role. Uh, not that their role wasn't already important, but just gives that flexibility and that way to contribute physically on the bo uh, on the field uh, from their effects uh, or from them being on the board. So, um, so this will also give a benefit to having three NCUs. Granted, that's only if. Um, you're not running a commander NCU. Because remember, it's your, the points that they're worth. So if you're running a commander NCU, they're worth zero points. Um, it doesn't say they are, but uh, it might in the rule book. But a commander is free, so they, they don't cost anything. So putting them on the field isn't going to do you anything. Um, so, But actually paying for three NCUs is pretty huge in this mission, especially if they leave a section all by themselves with like a five point NCU, 
or sorry, a five-point unit in their sector, you could throw like 11 points of NCUs into that sector, and you know they might not even have enough points to uh, to counter it. I mean, they might even have to. It might even be a strong play to force their NCUs to then have to commit to that sector. Um, so there's a lot of strategy with this mission, keeping it. You know, because that sector. I mean, you could uh, place. Uh, visible um, lines to show the sectors to help you but if you're not showing or if you're not doing that you're going to have to keep a mental note and constantly remeasure where the sectors end and start otherwise you're going to end up with uh, what I had carried away with killing my opponent that I didn't realize that my units were all in the wrong sectors or just barely everyone was in the same sector and I, you know, I lost because I'm sitting here gaining one victory point a turn because I have all my stuff barely in my sector. Um, and they're like in the middle of the field. Keep that in mind that you could be in the middle of the field and look like you're basically in the fray. You know, you're in the fight, you know, sticking it to them. And then you measure and you're, you know, you're like 60% in your half of the table instead of their half not getting that three points. So I love it in that sense that it kind of gives you that extra layer of thinking and positioning. Um, so this is definitely my favorite mission out of all the beta missions. What do you think, Chris? So this one is the one that I've personally played the most of these beta ones. And, well, the thing that first drew me to it is it doesn't have objectives and it's straightforward positioning and fighting. But like you were talking about, the more you dive into it, the more it's very strategic in how you're moving around and where you're placing people. And like we talked about in the last mission, it gives that extra something to NCUs in general that they can help bolster your people on the field, which in essence is what the tactics board is supposed to represent, you know, the people moving around and doing their thing. And this just adds another something to it. The, the two times that I played this thing, I was actually using Free Folk. So, you know, I get my little raiders all moving around, get my little rinky-dink points here and there. But my Free Folk, I do run with the three NCUs. So having them, that option of dumping one of them into bolster a, a raider unit that's just kind of hanging out there, that the opponent might be like, oh, it's just a raider, it's three points. Then you dump down Steyr, four points, boom, now you just took the sector. So it was very strategic. I like that kind of chess play about the scenario. And, you know, for those Melisandre players, it's another extra thing for her because, you know, you can nuke a unit, maybe even nuke them dead, get them out of the sector, and then she can just plop down and then take that sector. And, you know, you got the one-two switch right there. So, like you said, this is probably my favorite of the betas, and I just find it very enjoyable. Yep, I agree. And, again, this would be a perfect, I think, I mean, it might be my bias, uh, you know, because I think it's, you know, it's my favorite mission of them. But I think this would be a perfect one to add in as, like, an always for, uh, tournaments. Um, it just, 
I'm a big fan of mixing it up. So I like objective missions a lot. But right now, other than Fire and Blood, which also kind of has its ups and downs, some people don't really like that mission. Some people, you know, it's it's kind of mixed, uh, at least out by my area. I love that um, mission. And, well, I'm talking more so competitively. I love that mission, too. Uh, I would say I'm still fine with it competitively, but I some of the people that have argued about that mission for competitiveness, I see their side of it and I understand and whatnot. Um, but I don't like knowing that every mission is going to be objectives or at least most of them are all going to be objectives. Knowing that, you know, this could be a potential for a competitive uh, mission uh, in tournaments and not have objectives is big for me. I, I want it to be kind of a 50-50 mix. I know objectives is it gives kind of a more clear goal than just kill each other, but I don't know. I don't want there to always have to be objectives. Um, especially I love kill each other. Like, <laughs> especially have when you have things like wolves that can just go grab an objective, and it's like well, this is kind of lame. Why is that wolf grabbing that objective? <laughs> but yeah. Uh, you know, just straight up killing each other, positioning. Uh, I would argue this could possibly be my favorite mission out of any mission that Simon currently has. So uh, if you guys haven't tried any or some of these missions, definitely try at least, try them all at least once. Um, even the one, uh, what was it? Uh, um, I forget what it's called. Where is it? Uh, hone, no, it's not honed and ready. Where is it? Uh, no full may pass. Even that one, that's my least favorite. Like I said, one small change. I think Simon has done an amazing job on basically all these missions and has thought them out all very well. So definitely, even even no full may pass. Try it out at least once. You know, uh, tell me what you think uh, about it, um, about all of them, really. And uh, you know, I can't wait to see what uh, if anything changes when Simon uh, finally releases releases the final versions. So, um, and lastly, we're going to talk about uh, the mission I made. Uh, you know, I wanted to kind of throw this out there because I'm proud of it. Uh, I think it's a really good mission. Um, so I want to see what you guys think about it. Uh, so I'm going to post it up uh, shortly on our uh, page, and I would love it if you guys played it and tell me what you think. Uh, me and Chris played this mission for our uh, battle report that uh, hopefully will be up soon. We, uh, my wife just got done editing all the photos. Uh, we plan to do the battle reports like the old GW style where it's like a narrative kind of uh, a battle report uh, written out and then screenshots of like all the best uh, scenes uh, from the battle. So uh, anyway, so with this mission, it's called Favors Come at a Price. Uh, so though there is a slight typo in the title when I think it, it says favor comes at a price, it is favors come at a price. Um, deployment is 12 inches. Special rule, whenever you activate an NCU, your opponent may place one victory point on one of uh, on one unit of their choice. If your first activation in the round is an NCU activation, your opponent may place two victory points instead of one uh, uh, one unit of their choice. So uh, to break that down real quick, so basically when you activate your NCU, 
your opponent's going to be able to place a victory point on one of your units, um, anyone that they choose. Uh, and if you choose to make uh, your first action be an NCU, they're going to be able to place two. So that's pretty big. Um, you know, it's going to kind of give the incentive to not always just first action swords, you know, because I'm sure a lot of you are listening out there. That's how often is that the very first action every, you know, almost every single round and every single game, unless some other action is critical to do first. It's just, it's so big to just NCU combat. Yeah. Well, it's mine too. Like, uh, (laughs) you know, you're, in most cases, you're going to do way more wounds than the money bag's going to heal. So unless you really need to heal to, like, survive for some reason, taking the free attack is almost always going to be better than healing or doing a lot of the other stuff. So I wanted to give a kind of an incentive to not do that and uh, make something else be your choice. You know, do something with uh, a f- on the field first because, remember, it's – uh, if you activate the NCO as your first for any reason, so you could you could take the money bag or take this or that, but you're still going to give those two victory points. Granted, uh, that means every round your opponent is going to or you're going to be giving up that uh, as many victory points as you have NCU. So it will also give a a negative, but also a buff, which I'll explain in a second, to having more NCUs. So. Uh, in addition to that uh, rule, there's also when you claim a zone on uh, with an NCU, you may choose to replace that zone's effect with, you may, you may remove one victory point from a unit of your choice. So this allows you to uh, activate the NCU. Your opponent places one victory point. You may then replace a spot on the board to remove that point. So you can kind of do an, you know, a give and take. Um, you need to kind of weigh whether or not the spot on the board is uh, better than being able to counteract that victory point that just got placed. Also, um, beginning of round two, any unit that activates in its own deployment zone gains one additional victory point and must take a panic test with a minus one to the test based on the current game round. Minus one for round one, minus one for round two, etc. This is uh, the problem that I had with, um, we faced with the old Feast for Crows where people would castle in their deployment zone and you would never, you know, they could just stay there. Um, a lot of times you weren't really winning by doing that, but the it wasn't necessarily about that. It was about just a kind of a, a lame experience, playing experience. So the only one time I've ever done that was it just it actually ended up being beneficial because of the way the scoring was. By stalemating, it gave me half points rather than no points, which normally is how it would be. Um, otherwise, you know, by not going out of your deployment, you kind of hurt yourself, uh, which I believe Michael Chanel brought up, which is a good point. You know, by not leaving your deployment, you kind of really just hurting yourself and it gives your opponent better positioning, but it always made for a bad play experience, I think was the main point I didn't like about it. So with this rule, basically you have a 12 inch deployment and this doesn't start until round two. So it gives you a round to move out of your deployment zone uh, before this starts taking effect. So if you move minimum distance 
which is five and a half inches out of your deployment, because that's the size of a tray, I believe, uh, if you're talking the, the depth of the tray. And then if your opponent does the same to get out of their deployment zone, uh, 12 plus 12 for the deployments, that's 24, at least 24. Five and a half, five and a half is 11. That leaves you with, uh, what, 13 inches? Um, so that only leaves 13 inches away from you and your opponent. Um, meaning that once you get out of your deployments, you're going to be far enough away that you're not like in each other's face, but you're close enough that um, it's going to be hard to castle. Uh, and it's going to also keep pressure on you to not backtrack. Uh, I had this in, uh, I believe, my game with uh, Chris, where I kind of backtracked accidentally. And he did too once, where you know then our units started taking panic tests and being worth additional victory points. And you know it became a uh, uh, pretty big factor. It's like it, it wasn't game-changing, but it, you know, it was a nice... Uh, kind of a uh, slap in the face of, yeah, what are you doing? You know, but granted the, you know, uh, it's understandable, especially if you haven't played this mission a lot. So uh, it gives that incentive to just get out of your deployment because there are no objectives. Uh, it's kill each other because you're placing victory points on your, en on the enemy unit. You're going to want to, you, in order to get victory points, you have to attack your opponent. Um, but, you're going to be close enough that that's going to happen uh, because you're not going to, if you're going to castle in this game or in this mission, you're going to uh, not only be worth a ton of points, you're going to start dying from panic tests. Granted, you could be uh, like a faith um, list and kind of be able to castle for a little bit, but you're still going to be worth victory points, additional victory points, because that part happens automatic. It's not if you fail your panic. Um, and then lastly, for the special scoring, each time an enemy, any enemy unit with victory point tokens is destroyed, gain additional victory points equal to the victory point tokens on that unit. So basically just saying that they're worth, you know, one point for victory through combat as long as they're not insignificant or whatever other reason, and then plus any points that were placed on them through, throughout the, the, um, the game up until they died. But then there's uh, another rule that units may never give up more than four victory points upon being destroyed. This includes the victory points from uh, the game mode, victory through combat, and other special rules, such as Rickon or uh, Joffrey. Uh, this is to kind of limit, you know, stacking so many points on one unit, killing them, and just saying, I win. Uh, four victory points is still a significant significant amount when you only need 10 to win. So stacking four, you know, or stacking three points on a unit on two different units to give you eight points when they die, you know, it's pretty close to winning just from that. Though keep in mind, one strategy you can do is even though you can only give up four victory points, you could still place more points on them than needed or then that would exceed four, just to make sure that if your opponent tries to reduce that amount, they'll still be worth four when they die. It it might give an incentive, you know, let's say there's uh, four victory points on them, they'll give up five, or they would, you know, give up five if they could because uh, of victory through combat. So your opponent reducing them by one uh, by replacing a spot with their NCU 
won't matter because they'll still be worth four victory points even after you remove one of those uh, additional ones. So the case for that happening is pretty rare, but uh, let's say you really need that unit to be worth four points when you kill it. Um, it can be pretty crucial. So, um, uh, so yeah, so I added that in there because uh, first couple playthroughs of it, I you know noticed pretty quickly that you could just pile all these points on one unit and you know uh, win in basically one kill. Uh, one strategy you could do is just all game, just simply reduce uh, the points uh, that your opponent gives out. Granted, if you start seeing your opponent do that, you're going to have to do the same. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be at a big disadvantage. So if, let's say, every single time you activate a unit, you just take a spot on the board and you simply uh, replace it to remove the token, you could essentially nullify the extra points throughout the whole game, but then you won't be getting any effects on the board. Uh, and that could lead to you losing, still losing. Uh, granted, you could still do the same thing uh, with, uh, uh, sorry, with your opponent could do the same thing if they see you doing that. You know, that way it's going to be a, a low victory point game because um, you're only going to be able to get whatever's uh, out there. Um, with that said, uh, keep in mind that it's you're uh, you're giving up the victory point when you activate. So let's say you both have three MCUs. Uh, you can activate even if there's no spot on the board. You could activate and have to give up that victory point and not have a spot on the board to replace it to reduce it. So, um, so yeah, so that's that's the mission there. Um, I like it a lot. Uh, granted, you know that's probably my bias. You know, I I made the mission, um, but uh, I I wanted to throw it out there because. Uh, I've made uh, quite a few missions, but this is the only one that I felt was like super uh, well-rounded and kind of added in a play style that uh, you don't see a lot. Gives that uh, ability for the the NCUs to dictate uh, what's going to be worth victory points. It's kind of where I came up with the name for favors come at a price. So um, them activating, them being involved in the in the field is making things worse. Uh, you know, they're getting those favors by, you know, their ability on their card and by taking spots on the board. You know, I, I always thought of like, um, whenever you took like the wealth, you know, they were putting money in someone's pocket in order to heal some guys or, um, or when you got a maneuver, you, um, you know, they just, they're doing behind the scenes things to get these effects on the board and to do their abilities. But in this mission, their, their abilities are coming at a price in the fact that you're making on the battlefield things worth more victory points. Uh, but I also wanted to um, have a mission, I mentioned this before, that didn't have objectives. Because before I made this mission before I saw uh, um, Honden, before I saw Here We Stand, and I wanted there to be more missions that had no objectives in it. But then again, uh, I, the first renditions of this mission was back when Feast for Crows had, before it had gotten changed, and I wanted to make sure that um, didn't fall into the trap of castling. Um, and I'm going to say it again, and not because uh, castling 
was some w- secret way to win. Um, a lot of times, more often than not, uh, anyone who castled against me, I'd usually still beat them. But it made for a boring play experience, and that's why I added the rule. I just wanted to prevent uh, like a boring play experience from happening. Granted, this mission will also kind of hurt ranged units because it does lessen the board quite a bit. You know, you're looking at what a, a four by two battle area essentially if you want to well i guess technically it's more like a a three by four because you could go in your enemy's deployment um uh, and not take those hits um but it's really it's chopping off a good chunk of the board for each player in in a different way uh that will really make uh each player bring the fight to each other so but yeah that's a that's the last mission we'll talk about. Uh, we'll end with uh, Chris. Uh, what do you think about this? I know you've only gotten to play it once, but. Well, actually, first off, I love the mission because I like to just kill things. Now, this glorifies doing that. And actually, the day we did our battle report and we had all the other guys over, both my other games that day, it was this mission. So. I got to play it a lot. I think it's fantastic. I like just going out and killing things, you know, making the guys worth more with the NCUs, you know, like kind of like we talked about with those other missions, you know, just adding that extra flexibility with the NCUs is always a welcome thing. You know, if you need to take down the the victory point off of somebody, you know, even in our game, we had like a couple of those units just stacked up with all those points. So when they finally did die, it was like, ah, yes, four points. But then, you know, the next turn, the other guy was stacked up with four points on him. So by the time we got to the end, you know, I think only three of our units died, but we was like, what, 10 to 9 or something was the final score. So you know, I love the mission. I like killing things. So this is right up my alley. Nice, yeah, and I think uh, now that you mentioned that, I think I remember you telling me that you played this uh, a co- uh, in the other games that you played after ours. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Um, I'm really hoping to hear from all you out there uh, what you think of it. Uh, I'm definitely open to any suggestions um, to improve it. Uh, you know, I, I won't take offense. I know everyone kind of has their own opinions, and um, you know, I'm kind of throwing this out there for you know any criticism and critiques uh you know i want to kind of i think it's at a solid spot where it's at Uh, i don't think it's perfect but i think it's pretty close to where it needs to be um to kind of just be out there for people to kind of play i don't expect this to be thrown into like the mix of like any major tournaments but it'd be cool to kind of see people playing it um and you know see people that enjoy it yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, and yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it definitely makes it really hard. Cause I can't tell you how many times, uh, cause it's easy to say that you'll just every single round with your NCUs, just replace the spot, take away a token. It's easy to say that, but when you're in the game and things are, you know, getting, uh, down to the wire it's hard to say that you're going to pass up a free attack healing some guys a free maneuver that might get you in a prime position to charge uh 
you know, a critical crown zap to kill off a unit. It's hard to say that you're going to to do that. So it was quite often that, you know, we didn't reduce points and we just let them kind of stack up and we kind of played it, you know, by that to make sure that, uh, you know, we try to protect what was getting uh, stacked, you know, points on. Um, also, uh, one thing, though, we did see a lot was, uh, especially on, I can't remember every single round for you, Chris, but I know for me, uh, not activating an MCU very first activation. I think I only did it once out of all five rounds, four rounds, something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't remember how many times you did it. I think you did it at least once or twice, but. Yeah, I think so. But I know one thing I never did. I don't think I ever took victory points off of a guy. I just let him go. No, I don't. At one point, we had that no, Stormcrow unit had, like, what, five on there? And they actually lasted yeah. longer than I ever gave him credit for, but. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah, and it's it's definitely, uh, it's nice to not know that, uh, or not be guaranteed that the very first action is just going to be, okay, and so you take the free attack. And remember that that goes both ways. So let's say Chris is going first and he bypasses taking the free attack to attack normally with a unit. Well, now it's my activation. Well, if I activate to take the free attack, that is still my first activation. So I'm going to be giving him the ability to put out two to- or two victory points. So I'm also going to have to bypass uh, that if I want to avoid it. But it also gives me the option. Like um, it-, it gives a lot of uh, flexibility in the sense that um, just because he's going first doesn't mean that I might not have the chance to take the free attack um, if he chooses to activate a unit first. Granted, I'm probably then going to activate a unit first anyways, but then, you know, that, you know, there's a lot more uh, weight in the decision because you have to know that bypassing that free attack gives your opponent to then have a free attack, uh, but giving up the extra victory points. So, uh, so yeah, everyone out there, you know, let me know what you think. Um, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. Um, that kind of wraps up uh, all the beta missions. Um, again, the only one we didn't go over was uh, We Guard the Way. It is an uh, attacker-defender mission that uses the attacker-defender tactics uh, decks, I guess you can call them, or just the decks. Um, I definitely want to at least give this one a try. Like I said, I uh, some of the other ones, like I read them, uh, I read a lot of these other, other missions that we played and I wasn't too sure about them. They seemed iffy, but I was very surprised at pretty much all of them, uh, at how well they played. So I definitely want to give We Guard the Way a good, uh, thorough play test, uh, before I make any judgments based on Storm of Swords, because Storm of Swords is the only other attacker defender that I know of and kind of had a sour play experience with that mission. So I want to give this one a good playthrough uh, before I, you know, kind of chalk it up to be the same as Storm of Swords. Um, But otherwise, uh, let me know what you think about all the other missions. If you haven't played them, definitely play them. Try them out. I think uh, most of you that have not played them will be surprised. So that kind of ends our show for tonight. Um, 
uh, again, uh, join our Discord if uh, you kind of want to give some suggestions for topics. We're kind of we're booked all the way through uh, August, uh, which is awesome. Um, it's always nice to kind of have a backlog. Uh, you know, that way we're not kind of just throwing something together last second to talk about some random whatever. Uh, we did have a, a guest plan for tonight, but uh, again, something came up. It's just one of those nights. I think we only had one of them prior to this, but uh, just everyone had last-minute things come up. And uh, but thankfully, uh, Chris was here to save the day. I appreciate you being on uh, well, you know, to help uh, people not have to. <laughs> yeah, something. something I was didn't want I was you to be on here. either. <laughs> Something was determined so to make it just be me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so I fought back uh, as hard yeah, as I could. It, yeah, it dropped like three times and came back on. <laughs> Cat with nine lives. But uh, that's right. I want to thank everyone for tuning in for listening. Uh, those that are listening live, uh, thank you so much. You know, we do the show live so that way you guys can uh, kind of. Get us uh, unfiltered, uncensored, pretty much. None of this is edited. Uh, it just goes load straight up uh, uh, to our all the different uh, sites. So those that are listening to the recording, um, those that are listening live, if, uh, if you don't already know about it, we are uh, on a bunch of different uh, platforms. I believe I mentioned it at the beginning of the show. So definitely check out there. Uh, check out our Facebook, uh, like the page, uh, share it out uh, wherever you can. I'm in most Facebook uh, groups for the Song of Ice and Fire, but if I'm not in one, uh, definitely share it out to some of those groups. Um, I try to limit it to one post a week because I don't want to be spamming all the time. Um, I might make an exception with the main main page and post one additional time there as like a precursor to give people more of a heads up than you know, like 30 minutes to an hour before the show. Uh, but yeah, if I'm not in like a Facebook group um, that you guys know of and you don't see kind of my posts every week, definitely consider sharing our Facebook uh, out to those groups. Uh, sh there's something of, I think like 8,000 people. I could be off by a bit uh, in the main Facebook group. And we're at about 630 something likes on our page and about the same number of uh, followers. So definitely share it out there. That's uh, that's the best way they can help us grow. There's definitely lots of people out there that uh, still are unaware that we do the show. I think we're on like episode 32. Cannot wait till we hit that one year mark uh, for you guys. Um, we definitely uh, are going to be starting to ramp up some more giveaways. I know uh, we kind of died down a bit. I have a bunch of uh, uh, packs of uh, the custom-made, uh, sorry, Game of Thrones sleeves for cards for your tactics decks from uh, uh, from Ben uh, from Singapore. He uh, his uh, he so sells good. those. Yeah, he sells those out on his store. Um, so definitely go check those out. I'll link uh, his site in uh, our Facebook page. That's another w uh, reason to check out our Facebook. That's where I post a lot of our stuff to kind of keep you guys updated. But we're going to be giving away those sleeves. We have. Uh, I'm going to be bringing one pack of each to the Indianapolis tournament that's happening on, I believe, the first. Let me double check here. Uh, yeah, the 
August 1st and August 2nd. I'll be bringing a one pack of each to that uh, to give away, and then I'll also have one pack of each to uh, give away on here to uh, people that um, possibly call in or maybe some for some other stuff. Uh, and then to kind of jump back over to that tournament to give it a shout out. So if you guys are interested in kind of getting back in the fray after we've been kind of locked down for a while, uh, uh, Family Time Games in Indianapolis is having a big uh, Ice and Fire tournament. It's going to be 40 points. It's going to be on the main tournament. It's going to be on August 1st, which is a Saturday. I believe it's only limited to 50 spots due to the social di distancing, but uh, I would definitely go and sign up if you're interested. I believe we're already at like 32 people of the 50 um, with, and that's, the people that's saying they're going and with a possible i believe another like 15 uh so if all granted you know we all know um the people that say they're interested only a fraction of them end up coming but still there's always that possibility that they all want to come so definitely go on there and at least list yourself as interested or going if you are you know interested uh and, you know, consider definitely going out there. I believe most of small council will be there. Uh, I think we'll all be there in a perfect scenario, but uh, we never know what uh, might happen before then. I actually think I might be able to get my wife. Uh, sounds like she might be going as well and playing on Sunday, which is the team tournament. In the team tournament, it's 25 points a person. Uh, and... You can't run neutrals unless you run all neutrals. So, for example, if you wanted to run Varus, you would have to run an all-neutral list. Uh, it's 25 points, and uh, you get randomized a partner first round. Uh, I believe they're going to try to pair new people with uh, experienced people first round. And then after that, uh, second round will be winners will be paired with losers losers will be paired with winners and then going on to round three which i believe it's only three rounds uh again it will be winners paired with uh, losers and losers paired with winners and then uh we have excuse me um a bunch of prize support both for the main tournament and the turn uh team tournament and the team tournament prize support will be based on individuals. So even though you are playing on a team, because it is random teams and you have a different partner every round, you will still be uh, rewarded based on individual performance. So there will eventually be one person that goes 3-0 uh, uh, and in all their games, while their partners uh, will not have. Uh, because obviously with the way pairings will happen. So there will be medals that uh, we'll be giving out for first place, second place, sportsmanship, uh, third place, best paint, best sportsmanship, best painting, tons of prize support, uh, unit boxes. Uh, I believe we'll have Rose Knights and Relore Faithful, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then... There, if we get enough people, there might even be some special guests that uh, I don't know if we can say who uh, they are yet, but um, definitely check uh, check that out. We'll, uh, I believe it's not too far down our Facebook uh, page that so you'll be able to find the link to go there to figure it out, like uh, figure out the details, I mean. Um, so definitely go check that out. Share it out. Uh, let's make this uh, event huge. Um, you know, I can't wait to see you guys all there. Uh, 
last couple of shout outs is to um a song of ice and fire stats.com that is a s o i a f dash s t a t s dot com uh you can go there and submit all your game results uh to help get to all the stats uh you know to help increase the stats and uh whatnot to kind of see where everything's sitting as far as you know the strength of commanders and uh units so go there uh check that out if you haven't already make a profile you know kind of contribute uh your games and uh, just kind of help the site grow. And then lastly, uh, a song of ice and fire guild.com. It's where you can go to find a bunch of different content creators of all types. Uh, you know, go there, follow the Facebook page, uh, go on the site and just kind of view all the different content creators. If you guys are kind of just been w- listening to our stuff, there's so much stuff, more stuff out there. Um, there's uh uh, battle reports, uh, both uh, for Tabletop Simulator in person. There's um, there's articles. Uh, there's tons of stuff uh, on a Song of Ice and Fire uh, Guild.com. Uh, so definitely check that out, especially uh, Guild exclusive content. Um, so that kind of concludes our you know the show for tonight. I appreciate you guys kind of sticking with us this long. I know there's always a lot of shoutouts. Want to you know, make sure we kind of help people, help represent people and kind of get the word out there. Word of mouth is key. Um, if there's a local, I want to throw this out there. If there's a local shop uh, near you, try to, you know, help support them. Um, you know, places are just now starting to open up and they could definitely use a lot of the business to make up for the past couple months. So, uh, with that said, everyone, uh, can't wait to, you know, do next week's episode so definitely check us out then same time as always 8 p.m central standard time uh we do it live and you can find us recorded uh this is the small council and it is dismissed